Sound. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 128 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Kristen Hanna. Her new book is The Four Winds, number one bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list for two weeks in a row. And now streaming on Netflix is an adaptation of her um, one of her other books, Firefly Lane. Join me for my free creative writing workshop on March 10th, presented by the Los Angeles Public Library. It's free. It's on Zoom. So join us from anywhere in the world at 6 p.m. Pacific time on March 6th. Go to lapl.org, select events, select adult, select Los Feliz as the branch, and put in March 10th as the date, and there's all the information there to register before time. It's a short lecture and a guided in-class writing exercise the second Wednesday of every month. So join us. We're friendly and we're good-looking. Speaking of friendly and good-looking... Hi, I'm Kristen Hanna, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Kristen Hanna. She's the author of The Four Winds. And for the second week in a row, it's number one on the New York Times and Los Angeles Times bestseller list. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Tony. It's great to be here. I, it's great to be on the bestseller list. What does that feel like? What's that feeling when you're like, let me open the paper again? Oh. <laughs> you know what? It's um, it's a lovely feeling. I mean, I, there's there's no way around that one. It's uh, it's sort of a combination of joy and relief, you know, because uh, it's always a good thing to to succeed for your publisher because we know making them happy is a very good thing. At the same time, you labored over a novel for a very long time. So there is the publisher part, but there's also, you, you put in a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, I did. And I'm, I'm particularly proud of this book. I think it's my 24th novel. So I've, you know, written a lot. And, and I think this one, this one took almost four years. So I am very proud of this novel. But you know, you can't write 24 novels and be in the business, you know, for 30 years, and believe wholeheartedly that the bestseller list is, you know, the entire indicator of of worthwhile books because there are so many wonderful books that don't hit the list and and opposedly there's a lot of awful books that hit the list <laughs> <laughs> i try not to think about that so much but yeah yeah not yours but uh, there, like sometimes i'm just like wow this is on the list and you know when i have you know all my other friends i'm like their books are just as good better <laughs> So when you're when you're approaching your 24th novel, what's it like when you have the blank page? What's it like even before what is, what is it like before the idea? You know, the interesting thing, Tony, um, is that I guess I just want to say a writer is a writer is a writer. And every every book is a terrifying prospect. And every blank page is, you know you project your fear that this is the time you aren't going to be able to do it. And, you know, you have to, I even, you know, constantly have to remind myself it's day by day, you know, you, you put in the time, you put in the research, you begin the writing and, and then you really just, you know, especially in the first draft for me, uh, you hope for the best, you hope you find the kind of story that is living in your head. And for me, if I don't, I am pretty quick to sort of toss what I'm working on and follow um, a new line of thought that seems more compelling or more interesting. When, when, you're, when you're juggling those, um, those thoughts, do you keep the same character or does it turn out that there's a different character that pops in? You know, the lion's share of the time, the, the character that I begin with is the character that I end with. 
although the character, the backstory, you know, might be entirely different. Um, you know, they, a character can go through a lot of permutations um, and still sort of have the same name that they had, you know, at the beginning. Um, in The Four Winds, however, interestingly enough, um, the main character wasn't, didn't even appear in my head or on the page for almost two years. Uh, I kind of stumbled across her uh, at the two year mark. And, and that's one of those dark nights of the soul as a writer, because you, you have this idea that you've stumbled across something that could be great, but do you really want to throw away two years worth of work to sort of follow that? And I did. It, it's also, it, it always intrigues me because it's, it's like you had to do that two years of work to get to the character. Yeah. It's almost part of the process where it's like, I got to, and you don't, you don't know what, if you knew that at the beginning, that would be the worst thing ever. Yeah. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, one of the things that I find interesting because I do a lot of um, pretty radical editorial stuff, there's something that the ghost of every draft stays there somehow. So everything you've ever tried to do somehow imprints itself in the work. And, you know, you just have to have that moment where, for me, the most terrifying moment is what I have is a good solid B. And am I willing to, to really strive for an A plus, you know, and, and, and I ultimately, I always do, but I always think, are you sure I can't edit this B into something else? And, and what was the realization day when you're like, oh man, I got to start from scratch with new character. Hey, how, well, first off, how many Xanax and glasses of wine did you take that day? <laughs> there was a lot of wine. There was a lot of uh, girlfriend conversation. There was a lot of uh, streaming of TV while I, you know, walked away from the whole thing. But Ultimately, you know, I'm the kind of person, I guess, that when I see a flaw and when I see a path that fixes it um, to what in my mind is, you know, the A answer, I am sort of incapable of doing anything but following that. Um, so ultimately, no matter how much I fight it as a, a sort of as a human who doesn't want to work again, as a writer, I always just ultimately dive in. And, and what I find is that when I dive in at those moments, the clarity of the idea really carries me. It's like a, you go from you know floating on a river in an inner tube to suddenly you're in white water. And, um, and that's the, the moment that I love. It's, I, I call it my war moments. Yeah, it it's is. like going to war. It is. It is. I mean, yeah, you're definitely like, you know, putting on your battlements and, and getting ready to really fight it. Because to me, those moments take um, a level of self-confidence that we don't really have on the surface. We have it because if we didn't have it, we wouldn't be writers. But it's not always easy to access that level of confidence. And it's scary. Yeah, it's very <laughs> it's, scary. <laughs> and it, it's like, I, I hate those scary moments. And then like, sometimes um, my students will be like, oh, no, I couldn't write that. That's scary. And I'm like, oh, now you have to write it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, when you know. The minute you say to yourself, I don't want to do that. That's when you know. Yeah, that's when you have to go to that dark place. It's, yeah. it's, it's showing itself to you. And it's scary. And we have to go in. Right, absolutely. I don't know any writer really who doesn't feel that way. And, and I really judge the value of, idea, of an idea based on my level of fear. You know, it, it requires this combination of, I'm really afraid I can't pull this off, but then I also have to have the, the corollary, which is, but if I did, this would rock the house. And so I need both of those sides of it. For some odd reason, a, D, a DJ on two turntables came into my mind, and you're like, and you're all, you know what? This record goes with that. No, wait, that would be. 
I need I need to put a breakbeat record on there because oh. that's just gonna tear the house down. That's right. And then you turn it on, and then you put, and then you cue it up, and the whole dance floor is going, and you hit play, and then everyone goes to the bar. Yep. <laughs> Very good. I used to DJ too, so that's why I brought I that in. I can tell. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it, you know, it's your, your whole, it's, and it's kind of similar to writing because every single song you put on when you're, you know, getting paid to DJ and keep people yeah. dancing. That's true. If that dance floor, if you lose the dance floor, it's like, oh, it's like a stand-up comic losing the crowd on a joke. That's really interesting because it is sort of the same thing, you know, I mean, we need to hold our writers, our readers in the palm of our hand, which means we have to know them, we have to read them, we have to, we have to know what they want before they've recognized it and then sort of give it to them. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, and it's, and it, you know, and even like in DJing terms, it's totally benign to them because they're like, I'm going to dance to this song or I'm not. I'm going to go, uh, I could always go get a glass of wine if this song sucks. Right. And, um, you know, and so to them, it doesn't mean it. There's no skin in the game for them. But as the writer, to get them to turn that next page, it's yeah. all skin in the game. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> what was it? What was it like? When, what do you remember working on your first book? Sure. Do, do you remember going? I think I'm a writer. Let's try mm -hmm. this. Yep, I remember. I was uh, I was young. I, First, really, the, the first real book that I wrote, I was, uh, I guess, 27, and I was pregnant with my son, and I was bedridden, so I was in the hospital for like six and a half months, and... Um, wow, what, 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 why were you in the hospital for six and a half months? I just had a difficult pregnancy, and I first went into labor at 14 weeks, oh so after gosh. that, I had to lay down for the whole rest of the pregnancy, and... This was, I guess, 1987, and there was nothing on television. I had been a lawyer, so suddenly I'm, you know, suddenly I'm home with nothing to do, no television, no friends to hang out with because everybody's working, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to write a novel. How hard can it be? I'm sitting here. I got nothing better to do, <laughs> and so, so I did. I, you know, I had my husband bring home a computer, which was, you know, it's the old dot matrix, you know, yeah. MS DOS thing. And so I'm trying to learn how to do all this. And I just, I sat down and I wrote an entire novel um, without one editorial mark, not nothing. I just stream of consciousness uh, wrote this novel and thought, wow, that is so easy and cool. I love this job. I'm going to do this job. And, uh, you know, I sent it off to um, some lucky agent who, who wrote back and said, well, you know, Kristen, you might have talent, but frankly, it's impossible to tell. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, so you don't just get to be a novelist. You can't just decide and then be a novelist. And you can't just think that because you're a great reader, because you write well in other forums, that that this job is one, you know, that A, you can do well, and B, that even if you do do well, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get published, or at least then there wasn't. And so that was another one of those moments where there was a lot of wine drinking, there was a lot of, you know, sitting with girlfriends, sitting with my husband, talking about, okay, what does this mean when you decide to become a writer without any apparent talent, by the way, and, and no real encouragement along the way, you just decide it because you like reading and you'd like to be home with your baby, um, which was what I did. So, so I decided that I would give myself until my son was in first grade. And if I could sell a book by first grade, then maybe it would be a job. And if I couldn't, then I would go back to the law. So that's it. You gave yourself, it was, that was about six years. Six years. Yeah. And, wow. and then I started really doing, you know, the heavy lifting, the classes, the conferences, the reading, the writing, there wasn't as much of course, as there is now, cause there was no internet. So you really had to sort of teach your, you know, teach yourself. Um, but I sold my first book when my son was two and I have 
been writing ever since. If you didn't have complications with the pregnancy of your son, you might still be in law. I would be. I'm sure I would be. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and have, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I would have liked the law. Um, but, you know, my mother told me when I was young that, that I would be a writer. And I think that always sort of stuck in my head. Um, and, and it turns out that I'm just, you know, antisocial enough that it's like a perfect uh, <laughs> job fit for me. And it allowed me, you know, to be the kind of mother that I wanted to be. And it's been really great to sort of see how writing has, um, has sort of followed me and how I feel like I've opened up myself and my life and um, been able to write through all of it. And uh, it's just been really satisfying. It's a great career. It's a great job. I would do it now, you know, paid or unpaid. I wouldn't be able to stop. Right. I think that's the hallmark of, because um, because being a career writer is not a great decision. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just, if you don't have to do it, get out. And I, one of my early screenwriting teachers from like 22 years ago he he gave a lecture he says if you don't have to write stop now it's yeah. not fun and i was like and i was just so one delusional <laughs> but yet <laughs> determined but it, but there was a part there was something inside my soul that was like no i can't yeah. not do this that's the only thing it's and you know there's also that you don't get it every day you don't even get it every week um but but when writing is going well, when you're like, you know, on a roll and it's coming the way you want it to and, and you, it's like flying, you know, it really is addictive. And so I can't imagine, you know, I guess I go through the slogging days to get to the flying days. I think there's also something sexy about the slogging days because I know all my writer friends are doing the same thing. Just yeah. to know that, just to know that we're all in the dumps. Right. There's kind well, of and, a you know. Don't you notice that what I find amazing is when you go back six months later, you can't tell the pages from the slog days or the flying days, you know. And so that's why whenever anyone asks me the great secret to this is just don't quit, you know, just keep writing and, you know, keep trying to get better, keep starting over, keep finding a better idea. And, you know, that's the best way. Write 23 novels, go on the next one, <laughs> write for two years, it's the wrong book, start all over. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's better than a real job anyway, let me tell you. I, yeah, I know, jo jobs are overrated, you know, that whole like- They are. I, I, I'm like, I'm so unemployable to a certain extent, but I work a lot harder, harder than probably most employees do, you know? It's true. I mean, people, you know, I'm talking to my son and daughter-in-law about jobs occasionally. And I'm like, I don't know anything about a job. I, you know, I don't know what it's like in an office. I don't know all this political stuff, you know? I used to work, I was a law librarian and legal clerk for a few years. Really? And yeah, and and I the the atmosphere wasn't good for me because I was a little too happy, and it was a very there were <laughs> I was just like walking in going, you know, I was like a twenty something idiot, but it's we're all twenty something idiots. But I like had my book I was reading at lunch, but I, but they had a copy machine, and you know how important a copy machine is to someone yes. who thinks they're a poet. Yeah. So. I was like burning through copies, making chat books. Like, I'd be like, oh yeah, now I work a little overtime tonight because I got a lot of things to refile, you know? And they'd be like, all right, you know? And then, and then once they, once I had, a, once I had that copy machine to myself, it was, it was better than sex, but I was still a virgin. So I didn't know at the time, but, <laughs> but, but burning copies and then, you know, stapling them together was, yep. so the law worked for me too. Excellent. Excellent. I find, I find lawyers are interesting writers because they're writing in a different way in, in the, in the career of law. You know, there's so much about um, the law that is suited to being a writer. I mean, obviously, you know, the core is first you have to read a ton. You can't get through law school unless you can read a lot and synthesize 
and understand and contextualize information really quickly. And so that really helps. There's all of the research you have to learn to do to be a lawyer. And then there is the, the creative side of the law, which is, you know, here's your fact pattern and here's the law the way it is now. You figure out how to move between these two things. How do we change the law or change the fact pattern? How do we change, how do we move forward and convince people? And of course, I think, you know, a huge amount of writing is convincing people is, you know, this is my world and, uh, you know, welcome to it. So I think there's a lot of the law that helps. Most of them, of course, most of us, I guess, do legal thrillers. It's and it, I, I like that because it, I, I didn't even realize that before. But as a lawyer, you're world building just like you are in a, in a, in a novel. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And of course, I, I come from the big fantasy sci-fi geek years. So, you know, I just, I still love big world building novels and it doesn't matter to me whether it's, you know, the planet Arrakis or the 1930s California, it's all the same thing. It's all creating the world the way you're telling it to be. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I've, I've always, I always, because people like ask me, they're like, what, you know, what do you feel about sci-fi or whatever? And I tell them, I'm like, every novel sci-fi, you're, you're building a world, right. even if it's contemporary now, that's yep. a world, world to build. Yep. And you have to stay in that world. So yeah, there's, you, and you, you know, the thing about the, what I love about sci-fi is you, everything has to make sense within the rules you've devised. And, and that follows through in every single book that you write of every kind of genre yeah do you do you like chart it out how, how deep do you go in your world building do you have like files and references and oh, yeah. le and legal folders <laughs> yeah I mean you know it takes it takes a lot because not for me especially writing historical novels now not only do I have to world build for the person who you know uh, knows nothing about 1930s California, but I also have to be accurate for the people who lived in 1930s in California because the, you know they're still around or people that were children during this time period. So it has to be um, you know absolutely as accurate as I can make it, and that just takes a lot of uh, my you know you do the research of the era. And then my job is to put it into words and images that allow the reader to recreate in their mind what's in mine. It's all, it, I, I've, I'm a fan of honesty and storytelling and you can kind of tell when an author is being honest just on a character level and so many of the levels. And if uh, blowing one element of that, especially if you're writing about the 1930s can blow the trust that you've built with the oh. reader. Oh yes. Yes. I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's just, it's crucially important because I think too, uh, people respond to honest, authentic storytellers by trusting them, by, you know, putting themselves in their hands and, and letting them be carried away. And so when you come into one of those things that is an obvious mistake, um, that trust is broken. So that's a lot of pressure. It is. <laughs> I kind of feel like you have fun on the research part though. Oh, I love it. I, I, the only thing, the only thing that I don't love, love, love about writing is coming up with an idea. That is the part that, um, that's the most likely to actually depress me because an idea to me is a magical thing and it has to have a lot of components and unfortunately, I can't tell you what any of those are until I see them all together. So I feel like I, you know, I pick a time period or I pick a subject or a question, and then I'm like a magpie, you know, pulling little silvery things and putting them in a pile until somehow that pile suggests something to me. And, uh, and it's a very stressful process. That's interesting. So you're, you're working on a very in, intuitive level. You're not, you don't, you don't, you don't come up with a concrete idea is what you're saying. You, you, you just start, you just start writing. Not anymore. I mean, like this book, the idea for the four winds 
was to tell the story of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and the migration to California. So obviously the historical record suggests a spine of a story. So I knew that going in, but who the characters are, what the conflict is beyond man versus nature, how they survived it, you know, all of those things I have to find. And so I have to look at, you know, what is it I'm interested? Oh, well, I'm interested in a female perspective. I'm interested in a woman finding her voice. I'm interested in immigrants. So I just sort of start putting all these pieces together until, um, until I find enough to begin. And, and I really find the bulk of everything in the editorial process. So I just, I just write willy-nilly for 100 pages and look at the four things that are working, throw everything away and start over on those four. I love that process. <laughs> it's it's loose. Yeah, but I know I know it's probably a frustrating process, but it's but there's a good there's a great looseness about it. There's the yeah. um I mean, what cuz I got I got moved over to teaching screenwriting, you know, and that, it was the last thing I ever wanted to teach cuz I read novels my heart. And and the syllabus they gave me they're like, "Okay, first week's the log line, the next week's the, you know, they got to yeah. come at it from that way." And I'm like, "No." No, that's not how it works. I was so <laughs> mad. And I even had a screenplay and a film produced on what I wrote. You know, it's like, but I never did it that way. I was always, I was always the opposite. So I, but in order to teach the course, I had to write a screenplay that way. I'm like, all right, let's go. And it worked. Did it? Okay, it that's what I wanted to know. my mind. So what, how and why? I don't know. I don't know how or why. <laughs> but but what I do know is I fought against something um, and I actually shouldn't have been fighting against it. It, it, it kind of humbled me, I guess, in a way, because I thought it was atrocious to come up with a, a log line and a synopsis before you even really work on things. I thought well, that's the but, stupidest you know, the thing, thing ever. about that is when you start, because I always do a synopsis and, mm. and I, I don't I don't begin until I have a beginning, a middle and an end. Oh, I may okay. not follow them, but, but I know what the end scene is because, you know, it's the mirror to the beginning. And, and what happens is as you're writing a synopsis, you find a clarity and a through line. And, um, and that does help a lot. You find that spine of the story. That makes sense. I do know my beginning and my end. Usually, so I, I know I, I it's like I could see the beginning image and the and the end image, and then it's just like okay, how how do they how do we how do we put that character through hell, and then they learn about themselves, and that end image is that's right impactful. That's what I learned from Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. You know, you take whatever this person is, whatever their journey is, and just make it worse every single moment until until they you know triumph or don't yes yeah, yeah. Um, but i tried writing i have tried writing screenplays it is too hard for me it's it's so different yeah. i didn't know how different it was um i was like oh yeah this is different and then i'm like oh my god this is just <laughs> like you know i i feel like i was doing like a little you know when you're writing a novel or whatever it's like drone music and yeah light you know, and then you do a, you do a screenplay and it's just like drum and bass and strobe lights. <laughs> so but, did you, did you end up liking screenwriting as well? Now I do. Yeah. I, I really like both forms of it. Um, what's interesting with the screenwriting is what's interesting with the novel. I just, I found interest in both. The novel has our name on it. So if we screw up, it's, we screw up. Right. If we're great, we're great. Right. And there's a beauty to that. I love that. Uh -huh. um, to stand alone. And then with the screenplay, that screenplay better be perfect so hundreds of people can put their input into it right. who are employed right. on it. And then the final cut, you know, it's, it could be iffy, but, um, but you better do your due diligence because there not, better not be any writing mistakes where, they, where you go, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I like the pressure. You do. Yeah. Interesting. It's so um, collaborative. 
It is after it's out. Yeah, I mean, it is underway. It's very solitary until it's... um, Right. But everybody gets to give you an opinion. Yeah, then there's that. And you really (laughs) need... And you have to... That's when you really have to... It's almost... I feel like a lawyer in those cases Mm because I'm studying the screenplay constantly. So I know the minute any questions come to me, they might have the right opinion. Right. Like I have to be, uh, I have to be, be open to that and also be open to, wait a second, no, I have to stand by this and show them why in scene 63, right. that, will ha- that, that will have to go, we'll lose this thread, that it's, hmm. it's wow. intense. Yeah, it's, there's a, and, and it's kind of nice to be, it's, yeah, it's, it's war. It's, 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 it's what I love. <laughs> yeah. It's I want, it's what do I it's what I avoid, but then once you're in it, you're like, oh, it's like diving into a freezing cold pool, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, that was invigorating. I never want to do that again. But then there's also like, so I had my first thing actually make it on air this year, uh, uh, a Netflix series called Firefly Lane, uh-huh. um, from a novel that I wrote a decade ago, and I have to say it was so cool to see what other people bring to your words. I mean, it's just like a whole, it's a whole different thing. And, you know, they, they're, these, the actors are just remarkable in, in that the emotional impact, I guess, that they can bring to the work. I've learned that actors put in, actors slug it out just like writers. Really? Craft-wise. They're working on bringing what we write they're they're working just as hard to uh hone their craft and hone their instrument every single day so when they show up and they're working on your character they've already worked on so many characters and they know how to inhabit characters and they know how to read between the lines and you're just it's just mind-blowing it's really really cool yeah it's fun i mean it it almost allows you in a way it it allows you to be a fan of your own work in a way that you never can be as a novelist, you know, because I already have my opinion on the book. I mean, I can hear reviews, I can hear everything, but what my book is to me, I know long before anybody reads it. And that never really changes. And I never ever get to see it through fresh eyes. And so, you know, when, when Firefly Lane was on screen, I was like, oh, this is why people love those characters. You know, I, I could really get it for the first time. How, how, no, you, you know, that no, you know, the, the uh, books being made into a series. Um, how, when, when are you approached at any point during the process or do you just go straight to the screening when, when, uh, when it's finished? You know, it, it it depends. I mean, so far, Firefly is the first one that's made it on screen because uh, Nightingale got uh, sidelined by the pandemic. And so, you know, I um, the, the Netflix people have really been a dream to work with. Um, they've been a lot of fun. It's a great cast, great showrunner, great writer. And, you know, they've kept me um, every bit, you know, apprised and interested and, you know, a part of the process. Did you, was there any part of the process where you're like, no, you're doing it wrong? No. Did did you have to come up and go, you guys, come on, really? I did not not with this one. Uh Um, There have been times in the past where I have had to say, the reason that you bought this book to turn into a film, you're missing the boat. You know, yeah. you this script does not embrace what this novel is about. So if this is what you want, then like find a different book or try again and do it better. And I think because I tend to write deeply interior emotional books, it's, it's easy for a screenwriter to just make it feel episodic where it goes from big event to big event. And it's very important to me that the, that the emotional arc is there as well. And so that's the only time I've ever sort of um, gotten involved and, um, and they have listened and you know redone it. I don't know that, that's, that that would happen every time. Um, and it didn't, I didn't need it with Firefly Lane. They, and it's beautiful. They did bring you in on that. There's a lot of writers that wouldn't, that they just wouldn't even be able to be near it. 
Well, you know, one thing I'm very clear on is I don't want to be that person. You know, first of all, I'm not a big believer in general in like a shot for shot um, adaptation because they're two different mediums. And so I want someone who can take what I can do and do things I didn't think of and change it up. And I'm very clear that A, I don't want it to be slavish and B, it's not my job. I don't know what I'm doing. So I try not to tell them, you know, what to do unless I'm absolutely sure that as as a viewer and as a reader, I think they've, you know, lost an opportunity. So in Firefly Lane, did you get to see rough cuts or anything before you saw this, the, the full? Well, I saw the whole season done, like without music and without effects and, you know, okay. and it's yeah. like Netflix across the screen really big. Yeah. That was the first time I saw it. And so the first time you saw it, what was it like? It was scary. Actually, it was really scary because I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope they did. I hope they did a good job <laughs> because I'm going to hear it from everybody, you know, and, and they did. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was a really fun experience. And what, and do you remember going, do you remember like just stopping it and going, oh my God, I can't believe they, they did it that way and it worked so well. <laughs> No, but there were a couple moments like that. Boy, I wish I'd thought of that. I mean, that's, you know, that's some really good stuff. So, yeah. I, it, wouldn't it be interesting if we can go back and rewrite the uh, things that we did? But then at, at the same time, that, that would lose the honesty yeah. of, of the moment. Yeah, because our books are, you know, I think each book is the culmination of who you are then and what you have to say. And, you know, if you teach writing, you know that one of the things they say constantly is, you know, it's about your voice. You have to find your voice. And it takes you a long time to understand that your voice isn't just the words on the page, that your voice is who you are as a human being, what you believe in, what you want to talk about, what you have to say. And and so I think that's why so many people become better and better as they get older in writing because they just have a better worldview and a better understanding of, of their fellow humans. And that's the beauty of it is when, you know, when I'm reading a novel, when I'm, when I'm, you know, even when I'm watching a film, I feel like we're always learning empathy. Yeah. The, the empathy just, that's the word that just keeps coming up when is, you know, especially when, when you're reading just a great novel and in the end, you're just like, Wait, I have more empathy because blank, blank, blank. Isn't that a great, I mean, what a great thing to be able to put out into the world at a time where, you know, we desperately need it. Yeah. I just found out like about, so about half hour before we started our interview, I found out I'm eligible for like a COVID vaccine, like right now. (gasps) Yeah, really? I know. So, so I was like scrambling, trying to get my uh, appointment going and everything. And I'm like, ah, all right. Let's, you know, <laughs> I got to meet with Kristen. And then it just kind of blows my mind. I'm like, who am I? This 51 year old man, totally excited about a vaccine and getting in line for the vaccine. When 10 years ago, I'd be totally excited about getting front row seats to Nick Cave and the bad seeds and, and making sure that, you know, um, I had the new record and trying to see if I can interview him. But no, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what excites me anymore. It's I want to be in line for the vaccine. Well, there's, if, if there's anything it's the pandemic, you know, has taught us, it's about how much our relationships matter and how much we want to see the people that we care about and spend time with them. You know, isn't it weird that it brings us, it's kind of, it's made me filter some friends. Cause I, when I read, and I went, ah, the, you know, who are the, who are the ones that are mean everything to me? Yeah. And who are the ones that I kind of like, I could see you around, but it's not a, it's not important. It's not as important as I thought it was. Now, where do you teach Tony? UCLA extension. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, and anybody can do that program, can't they? They can just pop right on in. Interesting. On campus. When we're not in COVID on campus, yeah. yeah. 
My it, son is an aspiring screenwriter. I'll have to uh, get him to take one of your classes. That would be great. I, you know what I would do? I would bug him constantly for making his mom have a bad pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you're the guy that gives mothers bad pregnancies. And you know what he'd say, to Tony? He would say, yeah, it worked out okay for her. <laughs> But he's trying to screenwrite though. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and, well, and he's COVID. oh yeah yeah he's taking classes too or just yeah um... he was taking classes he you know he was a, a producer's assistant for a while. Oh, good learning experience. Yeah, yeah, good learning, but boy, that's a tough world. Yeah, um, tough world. So uh, yeah, I think he's really talented. You know, and we'll see. We'll see. There's a whole lot of things, as you know, that go into that beyond talent. Yeah. Utter tenacity. Um, and then the other thing is absolute delusion that, you know, when, when I'm when I'm writing something, I'm already accepting the Oscar speech. I know. I know. Aren't we all? Yeah. Because because it, that it's almost like we have to fool ourselves to keep going. Well, it's like I said, it's it's that level of self-confidence that is required because otherwise, you know, who gets to do this? You know, I mean, it's such an amazing, amazing job. And I know like when I first started, I thought, you know, this is the world of Steinbeck. You know, how do you get to just like sit down at a desk and say, this is who I'm gonna be now, you know? And so you have to have this belief in yourself that is, that is pretty fundamental and, and delusional, you know, as long as you pair it with, I think like an unquenchable thirst to be better. You know, there's, I, I read a lot and I'm sure you do people who, you know, they write one or two and they never really edit them. And, you know, they blame the readers for not getting what it is they're trying <laughs> to say, right? uh yeah and then they, and then they kind of just disappear out of existence yeah, exactly. but that's that's what that's great because we want the, the cream rises to the top right we want them to disappear Un unless they want to really be in the game right and and also we know we got to know that we can disappear too so we got to keep our head above water well and that is the most i think that's the most difficult um task for the working writer is there's this constant pressure to do what you just did and to succeed at the same level, to write the same character, to write the same kind of book, whatever it is to, to fit into the spot where they know how to market you and everything makes sense to everyone. But I also believe that to be the best that you can be every time, you have to be willing to reinvent the wheel. Oh, you know, every single time and, and not just, uh, you know, succeed, you have to swing for the fences every time. That is, and that's, I mean, I have no idea what the experience of writing 24 novels is like, but I do know the feeling of, oh my God, I got to make it better than the last one. And that's scary as hell. It is scary. And, and the thing is, you know, we know we know that it's not an effort equation, you know? I mean, it's not like, oh, this book isn't as good as the last one because I didn't try hard enough. You know, sometimes magic strikes and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, you just have to remember that uh, a writing career is about a body of work. Just like a, you know, I don't care if you're Steven Spielberg or whoever, you know, they're not all gonna be Oscar winners. But if you're swinging for the fences every time, you have a better chance than the person who's just trying to get by. And what else is interesting, uh, and I like what you brought up earlier about how we are, our voice is the collective experience of ourselves kind of thing, where sometimes our collective experiences just might not, it might, will swing for the fences, but it might not hit the fences, but those collective experiences are important in the middles. The That's middles true. are important for the... And, you know, sometimes what we have to say is, speaks to the universal human condition. 
And sometimes it speaks to a more specific human condition. And that can make a really big difference on the level of success. You know, does everybody embrace this novel or do 30% of the people embrace this novel? And you can't always know that going in, but that doesn't mean that that one novel is more successful or less successful than the other. Yeah. And and what's and just like writing writing one novel, it's all a journey of sifting through what sifting through what needs to get out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Was that a good way to put it? <laughs> I'll have to come take one of your classes. Then I can hear everything you have to say. I would be so scared to death. <laughs> I would just, I, I would just be frozen. I just, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> like, all right. And then we have Kristen Hanna. So, so what's your, what's, so what's your goal for this quarter? <laughs> <laughs> to write the 25th best selling novel. <laughs> I'll be like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> Well, no, that's not true because I have never been able to finish a screenplay and it's not like I don't understand story. Um, and I would like to because I think that, I think it would be good to, to understand both um, sort of formats. It's been, it's kind of been important on my journey um, in a, I don't know why, um, but it's, yeah, I mean, and, and speaking of journey, I mean, my journey was, I, when I thought I could become a writer was reading books, reading certain books. I, I grew up in, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, so I didn't have a lot of access to things. But after, when I was in my 20s, and I started to read a little bit, the first novel I read was James Baldwin's, um, oh. oh my God, Giovanni's Room. Uh, you know, I didn't know what I was reading. I just picked it up at the library and I'm like, this spoke to me and I don't know why it spoke to me. And then I read um, the first Jack Kerouac book was The Subterraneans I read. And I'm just like, I can do this. This is it. This is me. Do you think those books were somehow choosing you? Because oh, those are wow. not the ordinary books that people just pick up. I, you know, I wish I knew I wish I knew the how I got to those books. I don't remember the how. I don't, I have no idea why I pulled James Baldwin off the library in Burlingame, California in the stacks where I don't know why that book came out to me. Yeah, that's an interesting thought if it chose me. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have a similar experience? No, and that's why I find it so fascinating because like I said, those are just not, they're just not books that everyone stumbles across, you know? I mean, they're just a little off kilter. And so I find that fascinating. And, I, and, I, and it was at the library. I didn't have a car at the time. So I walked like three blocks to the library. And they also used to, um, that's back when records, you could check out records. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know anything about jazz, but I would go to the jazz section and just check out four or five records and I would play jazz and read books until I had a TV, I, until I could afford a TV two months later, you know, but, uh, but great, it was, I thought I was a beatnik, you know. I can tell that. It's a, it's a great origin story. <laughs> yeah, so it's so strange. Was, but was there a book where you, when you were young, where you're like going... Yeah, I got to I got to do this one day or there was a little spark. No, no, I mean, I was a huge and voracious reader. I mean, uh -huh. you know, from the very very earliest age, always 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 reading. But it never occurred to me that it was a career. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I'm going to college so that I can be a writer or I'm going to be one of those girls who writes stories for her family, you know, every year. I never I never did any of that. And I think it's because I would have said back then that, that surely if you were meant to be a writer, you'd know it, you know, that you couldn't just stumble into that. Because when you hear from, you know, a good 80% of novelists, they'll tell you they wanted to be a writer when they were 10 years old. Hmm. And I just didn't have that. I didn't, I really didn't, I didn't go full swing into it until I was about 29. Oh, so almost the same age as me, pretty close. Yeah. And that's pretty young when you think about it. It is. 
Yeah. No, it's, it blows my mind. I'll have people come to my class who are like 60 and they're like, oh, it's, I'm way over my time. And I give them a bunch of examples of why they're wrong. Oh, yeah. Look at Delia Owens this year. You know, where the crawdads sing. You know, I think she's 67 or something. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about writing is, you know, it's egalitarian. You know, if you can do it at any time, any age, from anywhere in the world, you just have to have uh, the right book. It's, it's better than underwear modeling. <laughs> Which I've also never been asked to do. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, there, there's a window of opportunity there. <laughs> you know, if you're 16, you're like, I think I want to be an underwear model. It might be a good art project, but that's as far as it's going to go. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you better be Mark Wahlberg. I know. Why, why, why is it? I had Mark Wahlberg in my mind, too. Why is it Mark Wahlberg and underwear modeling that come together instantly is the two ideas. There's no way around that one. Oh, those sexy abs. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still got them. What is he, like 50? Know. You know, I mean, he works out like, what, eight hours a day? Yes. I, don't I don't think he reads. He's not, he's not one of those reading guys. He's at the weights. No, I mean, I mean, that's what I, that's what I tell myself with those kind of bodies. Like, you know, that's just a whole different thing because they're looking in a mirror six hours a day. They yeah. have to be. Yeah. They, the, the novel they're writing is sculpted on every muscle. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to tell you, when I watch his films, I hope he takes his shirt off. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I'm waiting. I don't want to. I don't want to have a cup of coffee with the guy because I know he's just going to go buh, 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 unless I write something for him. But on that screen, <laughs> did we just insult Mark Wahlberg publicly? <laughs> yeah. I mean, see, here's the problem. You're the one that will probably get an adaptation with him. I, I don't think I'm in the running. So. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm glad you I'm glad you didn't I'm glad I'm the only one who may have insulted him and I'm so <laughs> glad that you didn't and it's just it shows you're no you're a noble person <laughs> well you never know Kristen this has been so much fun thanks for coming on this has been so fun well maybe I'll see you in one of your uh, my son and I will come to one of your UCLA classes that would be fantastic when the world gets back to normal Kristen Hanna on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, The Four Winds, and the Netflix series, Firefly Lane. Apologies to Mark Wahlberg. There were no celebrity abs harmed during this interview. Next week on the show, we have Joshua Moore, and we'll discuss his new memoir, Model Citizen. Until then, just say no to hugs, and I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>